Welcome to an episode of Inside the Handle, where we interview personalities in the NFT community and get to peek inside their handle and learn about them outside of the NFT space. We'll learn about their careers, families, hobbies, and have some fun. So sit back and enjoy. In this episode, we're going to have a great conversation with Top Shot Tandy, where we learn about his great global work with not-for-profits, why he and his family moved to Portugal. We're going to listen to him talk about his favorite pastime, paddle, and we're even going to hear about how he met his wife. So I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. Here we are with the man himself, Mr. Top Shot Tandy. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing very well. Thank you for inviting me here. I'm glad we could connect like this. Yeah. And uh, I look forward to talking beyond the handle. Uh, yeah, this is exciting for me. I think you have, um, you've, you've built a, a nice space for yourself where you've got a YouTube channel and podcast, you engage on Twitter, all these different things. I think this will be an interesting opportunity for people to maybe get to know a little bit more about you outside of all that stuff, right? So uh, I'm excited and I appreciate your willingness to let us peek inside the handle a little bit. Of course, anytime. Yeah. So um, Top Shot Tandy. Uh, let's start with that. What, where, where's the, uh, what's the creation story behind that? So there is a show on Fox called The Last Man on Earth starring Will Forte. Uh, he, he was on SNL. He is also like MacGruber, if you've ever seen that, uh, MacGruber. So very funny show. Um, and I was kind of obsessed with it with a close friend of mine. And it was back in February. I didn't have a Twitter handle to talk about Top Shot. I only had my personal normie handle, which I almost never use nowadays, of course. And uh, so I just thought of a name. I need a name. And me and my buddy always call each other Tandy because of this show. Because the, man, the main character's name, it's actually kind of funny. He's, he, his, he's called Phil. And then this very tall, like handsome man comes into the show. And, and his name is also Phil. So they're like, well well, what's your middle name? Or yeah, I think that's what it was. Like, what's your middle name? And it was Tandy. And so they all started calling him Tandy and they sort of joked about it, that it was a silly name. And I, and I just came up with that name. So now it's kind of funny that people call me with a straight face, Tandy. And um, it's just, its origins are quite silly. I love it. I love it. That's a great story. I have, I don't know if I've ever seen the show though. I got to check it out. Last Man Standing, right? Is that what it's? No, Last Man on Earth. Last Man on Earth. Was Last yeah. Man Standing, was that a Bruce Willis movie, I think, maybe? That, that is like a Kiefer Sutherland uh, series or something, I think. I'm not sure. Okay. That sounds familiar. Um, but Last Man on Earth is like a, a post-apocalyptical comedy starring Will Forte. Interesting, interesting. So are you, I mean, are you a comedy guy? Is that your, what you gravitate to, whether it's TV, movies, you know, etc.? I definitely like comedy movies and, and shows um, but I like thrillers personally uh, I'm actually watching something right now called Your Honor with um, what's his name from Breaking Bad he's the main character uh, I can't remember his name now off the top of my head yeah. but I like um, I'm a big fan of thrillers big fan of comedies uh, not a big fan of like the romantic movies I, <laughs> I actually saw I saw a um yeah, that my, my wife wanted to go on a date recently because my parents were visiting, which they only, they're only in town once in a while. And the only thing playing was the Spielberg's West Side Story. And I thought, all right, well, it's got good Rotten Tomatoes reviews. Went to the movie, and it was just the most ridiculous drivel. You know, it's like the, the, the gang shows up to the other gang, and then they start dancing like ballerinas. And I'm like, oh, please, make it stop. And... um my wife gets really like nauseated from when the screen shakes too much uh -huh. and there was a lot of shaking going on and she's just like, do you want to leave? And I was like, yes. So, <laughs> so we got out of that theater after about 25 minutes. Was the screen shaking or were you just moving the chair so that you knew she'd get <laughs> nauseated? Yeah. I mean, uh, it was shaky. You know, a lot of the, a lot of these shows like that shaky cam, they make, they make, they make it, they believe that it almost feels like you're there in the right, room with them. Right. But it's, it makes some people really sick, including my wife. 
Yeah, I'm, I th- I'm thinking back to maybe the first time that I can at least remember that effect in a movie, and I think it was the Blair Witch Project. Where I was just like, thinking about that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it is funny, though, because when I'm standing, like if I, was, if I happened upon these two gangs dancing in the street, I wouldn't be shaking around, right? Like I'd be standing still looking at them. So I, it doesn't work for me. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they might've been the different scenes. I don't know, but there was just a lot. Oh, you know, actually the other thing is that it was something where I think it was filmed originally for either 3d or IMAX. So mm. they have a lot of things happening just to make it cool on IMAX. So like, some guy will be playing the trumpet, but instead of just having him playing the trumpet in the screen, the trumpet comes into the screen and leaves the screen. And then like, there's a lot of movement and zooming and camera movement. And if you're someone who gets, who's sensitive to that, it, I could, even I was getting a little seasick watching that. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So do you guys, do you go to, I mean, you said your parents don't visit often. And so do you go on dates only when your parents visit? Do you get out? Do you go to movies? What, what's your typical date night experience like? Yeah, so my parents aren't in town that often. Um, so I actually live in Europe. I live in Portugal. Um, so my parents visit us every so often, and we just try to make the most of it when they're in town. So I think it's probably like anyone else's date night. You know, go to the movies, go eat at a restaurant. Here, shopping malls are still a thing. I know, like in America, Jeff Bezos made sure that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> um, but here, you know, you go to the shopping mall, you walk around, you window shop, etc. Things like that. Right. Nice. Nice. Now you're in Portugal. Uh, your parents are visiting when when they come. Where are they visiting from? Where is Tandy? Where does he originate from? So the Tandy man was born in um, Boston, Massachusetts, uh, and I grew up in Boston. Um, so that's why I'm a Boston Celtics fan. And so they, they still have our family home in Boston, a suburb outside of Boston, maybe 15 minutes. So that's where they visit from. The nice thing is actually Boston to Lisbon is just a six hour direct flight. So it's the same as if you were wanting to go visit Los Angeles or something like that. So it's pretty nice, but I grew up in outside of Boston and I then spent some time in other places in the world, like went to Argentina, I lived in Costa Rica, went to school at UMass and Amherst, Mass, so like Western Mass. And um, after that, I wasn't quite sure where I wanted to be. And I ended up in New York City because my older brother rented a two-bedroom apartment and needed a roommate. <laughs> so then I lived in, <laughs> I was in New York City for 10 years. And then recently, uh, three years ago, we decided to come to Europe with our son. Was the decision gen- was it a decision made just because you wanted your son to have that experience? Was it a decision made because of a career move? You know, what sort of prompted that decision? So a little bit from each bucket there. Um, we had been we had visited Portugal in the past. My wife is from Brazil, so she has the language 100%. I am somewhat fluent, so I also have the language. So we have some family from her side that lives here too. Um, and I think we just wanted something different. And also she wanted to be able to study, um, to really just kind of focus in on some ideas that she had that she wanted to be able to study. And then I could work and the cost of living was lower. So if we came to a place, we could, we had the language, we had some family, cost of life was lower. And, um, and it's also just a really nice country. First of all, it's a beautiful country, mm-hmm. but also it's a great country for children. Um, so my, my son was one at the time. And in this country or this city where we are uh, outside of Lisbon, there's like a playground on every corner. You go to the supermarket. If you have a child, you cut the line. It's it's very child friendly. So for, diff- for different reasons like that was why we decided to do it. Originally, we thought we'd only be here for one year, um, but I really enjoy it here. And at this point, I kind of want to be here for quite a while. I'm not in any rush to go back to New York at the moment. So is the plan then to stay there or is it just sort of like you're in the middle of an evolving plan? Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure what the plan is, honestly. I'm just, (laughs) I try to take it like one day at a time. Um, But I, yeah, I don't know. For, For now, all I know is I'm happy here. If one day I'm unhappy, then we'll figure out, or as a couple too, of course, we'll figure out what the next, what the next move would be. That's awesome. I I spent a little bit of time in uh, Portugal, um, in Lisbon, and then uh, is it is it Porto? Um, yep, Porto's yeah. to the north. 
Yeah. So uh, I did a little traveling and, and ended up in Portugal for a little bit. It is an absolutely gorgeous country. Now, one of the things that's always unique about being in a place in Europe is that it's fairly easy to travel around to see other places in Europe. Do you guys get out much in that regard? And, and do you, you know, I know your son's pretty young, so I don't know how easy or difficult that is. But do you, do you get to travel much around Europe and see different things? So not as much as you'd think. Before we moved here, that was definitely the idea that we were just going to be in a different country every other weekend. But uh, in reality, not quite the case. Uh, with a child, you know, the child gets sick or whatever other reasons. Um, so not as much as I thought we might have. But we've been we've driven into Spain once. We we visited. We have friends who live in Paris. We've done that at least once or twice. Um, but recently, we did a pretty cool trip. We went to Austria. So we flew into Vienna and then we drove west to where they have these massive mountain, a massive mountain range, like almost like the Alps. Okay. And um, that was amazing. So that that felt like the big, almost like the biggest real trip we've been on since we've lived here for three years. Because the other ones are kind of hanging out with friends, which I also love doing. Because then you just travel and could turn your brain off. Where in sure. this case you go and everything has to be carefully planned and you know right. it's almost more work to travel than it is to stay home right. but uh anyhow it was great austria was a really beautiful country so that awesome. was, it was really nice any any plans or are there any areas in europe that you would really like to go to or that you'd like to be able to bring your son to at some point that's a good question i'm sure i'd love to go check out other cities that we haven't been to um yeah i mean sort of all the above I mean, there's areas of france that look amazing i'd love mm -hmm. to go to uh there's areas of spain like i think my son would love to see barcelona and the yeah. the buildings over there the gaudi um so uh, yeah there's tons there's tons of places i'd love to go uh, i think though to be honest i used to travel a lot when i was younger and i don't know how you feel with kids but as you get older and all of a sudden you have a lot more responsibilities and like home is sort of a, a, an easily manageable place. And then like once you leave, you got to now just uh, figure everything else out. So I have become more of the person that enjoys sort of where everything is in control. Whereas I think my wife is still in the mode where she wouldn't mind traveling every other weekend. Yeah, yeah, it definitely as you as you get older, as you have a family, as you have, you know, a child or children, it's definitely a, a change in the way you view travel. There's no doubt about it. Um, we we have I have two daughters and they're a little older. Um, the oldest one is 10. The youngest one is seven. Uh, so they're at an age where we can pretty easily pack them up and, and go um but it's you know it's not easy and if you're if you're driving somewhere there's you know you have to stop a hundred times and it, it definitely changes the dynamic <laughs> yeah but it's all good good yeah. problems to have absolutely absolutely so uh you mentioned that you're a celtics fan while you were growing up in boston was it just the celtics i mean you know were you into the red sox did you like baseball were you into the the patriots at the time were the had the brady dynasty started or was, were the patriots not good yet <laughs> so when i first started watching the nfl um that was the drew bledsoe era and I think right around when I was maybe a junior in high school, I want to say, was when the Tom Brady era began. And that was just like the prime time. It's like where you, where you can watch every game. You go to your friends' houses. You have parties. You watch the games together. So I, I had the, the great fortune of being able to be a really big Patriots fan, like right at the peak of the beginning of like the Tom Brady era. And I don't know if you recall, but it, it was so dramatic the way it all went down where Bledsoe was doing like he was running out of bounds and he just got absolutely clobbered. I, I forget what team they were facing and probably had a concussion and that's what began the Tom Brady era. So yeah, and then that first Super Bowl with Vinatieri and the versus the Rams and I, I still remember that and just driving through the, the the town with my friends and honking the horns and yeah. So I was a I was a Pats fan. I was a very big Red Sox fan. Um, I used to enjoyed listening to the games on weei on the radio nice. so i used to have my radio it's not i mean it sounds nice but when i think about it when i think about the way i behaved 
as like a, as a son as a part of a family unit and we'd like go out to the city and I would have my headphones on listening to the game I think oh geez why why was I doing that that was such like kind of rude behavior I hope my I hope my son doesn't do something like that but uh, yeah I was a big baseball fan as well we got to enjoy sort of again the the Boston fan experience is so, so much drama I was in high school when when the first year, I think the Yankees lost to the Diamondbacks and there were like riots outside the buildings over there in UMass. And then I think it was the next year or either two years later, I can't remember now, but that's when the Red Sox finally won it. And that was just madness. And uh, yeah, and, and I think it was must have been two years because the year before the Red Sox lost, I remember, you know, everyone felt like they wanted to cry and it's just so much drama as a, as a Boston sports fan. So definitely... I had my period of being very plugged into it. It's almost a, a gift. I wouldn't say it's a curse. It's more of a gift that my time zone is now so wacky that I can't <laughs> watch like every game because um, if I could, I'd probably still watch most Celtics games, even though they're pretty bad this year. They're a lot of ISO ball. Yeah. 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 They haven't, they haven't played very well, but they also haven't been at full strength. So, you know, we'll see. Um, best like have you been you've you've been to Celtics games I know you had mentioned that earlier but have you been to uh Fenway have you been to um Gillette I don't know what the stadium was called before Gillette but so what you've been to all of them where what's the best venue to watch a Boston sporting event out of those three um I mean Fenway is definitely the classic it's hard to top Fenway Park just for that feel that you get when you first walk through and you know like when you when you're walking through like the old concourse and you just imagine all like the legendary moments because um, nowadays you have like Gillette it's a brand new stadium even though of course there's plenty of winning there but Patriots tickets are usually so expensive that I think I only went to maybe one game or two games in my whole life watching the Patriots um, Celtics are, it's it's also an awesome time. I think the best sport to watch live is basketball, honestly. And I actually kind of have a funny anecdote about that, which was, so my wife also enjoys watching basketball games. And I think it's because at basketball games, there's so much action. They ball, you know, there's a lot of scoring. Whenever something is not going on, there's like cheerleaders dancing or, or people like balancing on, balancing plates and doing somersaults. And it's just like endless... <laughs> It's like endless entertainment at a basketball game. So my wife's family is from Brazil. They were visiting us a few years back, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago when we were in Brooklyn. And this was when it was still preseason. So I looked on like StubHub for tickets so that we could all go to a game. And I found tickets. This was before they had like Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant. And it was versus the Celtics, which was awesome. And the tickets were like seven dollars to, to sit like you know in the in the nosebleeds, but it's still sure. perfectly good seats. So I bought like everyone tickets, and we all went. And the best part was her mom was there, who doesn't speak any English, who doesn't watch any basketball, and she was at like the edge of her seat with the limited knowledge she had of how the game worked because it was like a close game at the end, and she was more like nervous for the outcome than any of us. I love so it. So to me. <laughs> so for to me that really spoke to how accessible and enjoyable a basketball game is yeah that's that's an awesome story that's an awesome story so <laughs> did you convert them like do they do they ever go to a second game do they care at all about the sport to this day or was it just the moment in time the excitement of that game and just, she was just all in yeah, it's more of the moment in time. I mean, the my brother-in-law, he still sends me clips or something when something crazy happens in, in, in NBA. He'll, so he still watches. I don't know if that's because of the game or anything like that, but right. um, he's the only one who's over there in Brazil. Because Brazil, is, it's all like football or soccer. I mean, people don't really watch other sports so much in Brazil. It's only, it's only when it's the World Cup. And, and there's stories about that too, of course, where Brazilians are like, mental for for the national team right so it's it's a very soccer dominated country so your wife is from brazil where did you meet your wife did you meet her here in the states were you traveling when you met her so we met in new york it's it's very much of like a, the notebook part two type of a story she was working for a family in up not in upstate what's it called like um 
uh, I can't remember any of the names, but the, those cities where like the families have the nice houses above the city. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So like White Plains area. White, yeah, so Westchester, was, White Plains. Exactly. Yeah. So she was working for a family there, like taking care of some kids over there. And I think she was just kind of living her best life. She had come from Brazil and she like went out with her friend the night before, I think to, I want to say to the Hamptons. So like they went to some party and I think they were all just super tired and, what happened was I had just come back from visiting Brazil for like three months and I had an absolute blast. Like the, the, it was amazing. I was like a single man and partying and just having an incredible time. And I came back from Brazil and it, it hadn't been that long since I had returned. And of course I very badly wanted like some piece of that again. Like I, I still wanted to meet people that were like on that wavelength. And I remember I used to travel around and I would bring these basically these like lightweight Brazilian blankets that you like take to the beach. And so we went to, I went to Central Park with my friend and we put down that Brazilian blanket. And all of a sudden this Brazilian guy comes up to us, like this young guy, nice guy. And he's like, Oh, are you guys Brazilian? And we start talking and he was there because there's a music group called the XX that were playing a show there that, that day. And he's like, Oh, I'm just here to watch the XX, but whatever. We start talking. And then he like wants to try to meet, some like girls in New York. So a few girls sit behind us and he goes to talk to them and they're really rude to him. And so he comes <laughs> back to us and like, and we sit down and we're just chatting and learning about each other and whatever. Then all of a sudden these other two girls come down and believe it or not, but one of the girl puts down a blanket and it's almost the same blanket. It's another Brazilian flag. And I go, well, those girls won't be mean to you. Why don't you go talk to those girls? So he says, oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> so he goes and he talks to those girls, but in the in the and then of course my friend and I would love to meet these girls as well and we wait a bit and then we go and we we talk and we sit down and he kind of like exits the picture cuz he's like I I'm only here they're about to start the show and I'm going to leave now so I'm like great so <laughs> so he leaves and what a perfect and my friend man. and I <laughs> exactly I know and uh so yeah, I'll have to send him this video. I think I still have his Facebook, but he leaves and we just start hanging out and we, we have a great time and we're in Central Park and like we play soccer together and just spend like the day together and exchange numbers. And of course my friend was so like, I don't know what the word is, like an, not an airhead, but he, sometimes he can't read the room very well and he like takes the numbers of both girls <laughs> and like they weren't sure like who was in interested in who but anyway one thing leads to another and and we keep in touch and we start dating and and that's how we met so we met in central park so who can say they met their spouse in central park that's awesome what a great story and it sounds like a pretty pretty new york experience for the other guy that had to exit the scene right he meets he meets <laughs> some people in new york that were rude to him go figure <laughs> Exactly. Oh, yeah, you have to have a rude New Yorker in every story. That's right. That's right. That's <laughs> wild. So, um, so that's that's really interesting. What a, what a great story. Um, how long ago was that? How long have you guys been together? I don't mean to put you on the spot. I know some guys. <laughs> <laughs> if you want, we could we could but, we could. It's I almost. Could, a, I know it's almost our ten. It's almost our ten year anniversary of being married. Um, that's going to be in January. But I think that must have been eleven or twelve years ago when we actually met. For okay. the first time, so that's awesome. Yeah, have you guys about a decade ago? Have you guys traveled a lot together? I know you had said that you traveled, you know, earlier in life, and and you had just come back from Brazil when you met her. But have you guys traveled much together? Yeah, we have. We've um, we've done a Europe trip. We that's kind of when we came to Portugal for the first time, also together. Um, we also went to Asia, Australia, New Zealand. So we were. Um, I was sent out part of my day job, which we can talk about in a sec if you want, but my previous role at another nonprofit was um, they sent me out to Cambodia uh, and, and they let me go like a little, well, I went a little earlier and spent a little longer. So I went to do some work in Phnom Penh, but before I did that, I was in Thailand. I was in, uh, we met up with our friends that live in Paris and then we went to Vietnam together. So we went to um, Cambodia, Thailand, Vietnam, uh, we also went on a different trip. Her sister was studying abroad in Australia. So we visited Australia. We visited New Zealand. So we did a Europe trip. So we've been in many, many places. Uh, and that was before my son was born. But sure, we've, we've definitely done a fair bit of traveling. That is, that's phenomenal. What was the, what's the place that is the most memorable or maybe the one that you enjoyed the most? 
Um, honestly, New Zealand was incredible. Uh, New Zealand was an incredible experience. And I know my, my brother-in-law can't see this video because he went to go visit that's his wife and they had a limited amount of time so they just spent it in australia but to me australia is also really great but to me new zealand was just like mind-blowing like i'm someone who really enjoys um just nature like nature scenes like just just massive nature scenes and new zealand is just full of them like when you're when you take certain roads from one town to another there's all of these places like every two minutes to stop off the road because that's how many amazing like vistas there are wow. so uh to me new zealand was just mind-blowing for that reason i really loved it there that's interesting i i have done a fair bit of traveling i have never been to new zealand or australia so i'll have to add that to the to the bucket list See if I can get there. Yeah. Now, highly recommended it if that's what you're into. Yeah, we. I love. I love to travel. Of course, as we talked about with with kids and a family, it's a little different. My wife and I both love traveling, um, and we do it whenever whenever we can. But at this point, it's been fairly limited uh, in terms of where we can go, and most of our trips these days are for the kids, so they're to like Disney right. and things like that, right? Um, now, you mentioned you were working with a uh, not for profit. Um, can you get into right. a little bit about what you do, what you did for the not-for-profit? You, it sounded like maybe you were working for one not-for-profit and then maybe now do something a little different or, or at least with a different company. So can you take me back to, um, you know, your, your uh, I think you said UMass, Amherst, you're getting out of college, you're, you're looking for a career. How did that path unfold for you? So it actually is a even more of a maze than just that. That sounds very straightforward. <laughs> I was at I was at I was at UMass Amherst and um I started playing online poker because a friend of mine who lived next door, uh he was my uh my neighbor in my building, he couldn't use his credit card to play at a website called Paradise Poker. And he said, Would you mind funding uh my account and I'll give you the twenty dollar bonus? So I said, Sure. So I got the $20 bonus, and of course that was like the little taste, and then I got like hooked, and I played way too much online poker. Um, as another thing, when I look back and I'm like, what were you thinking? <laughs> uh, but I, I played way too much online poker, and then there was one website where I was playing, and they offered the chance to come and work out there. Uh, so, so this was, I got my first taste of traveling actually that first semester of my senior year of college. I went to live in Granada in Spain, which was really beautiful. Um, and and after I came back and I got this opportunity and there was this tournament. And if you placed the top 10 in the poker game, in the poker tournament, you would automatically be considered for this poker internship to go live and work in Costa Rica for this poker company. So I didn't place in the top 10. I placed in like number 15 or 18 or whatever it was. But I sent my information anyway, and I was like, you got to let me come. Like, I'm obsessed. Like, I love online marketing. I have lots of ideas for you. One thing led to another. I got on a phone call with them, and they agreed, and I went to go live in Costa Rica. So I lived in Costa Rica for a year working for an online poker company. Um, that ended uh, – so that was after college to answer. So – after college, and a lot of different things happened. I worked as like a freelancer. I went to different places. I lived in Seattle. I was in Florida. I was kind of in lots of different places. I actually went to Argentina. Um, so then fast forwarding in New York, I have a friend of mine who's also been all around the world and who was working for this not-for-profit. At one point, he was working for UNICEF, and then he, fa he started working for this smaller not-for-profit a small team and they needed some help for like some creative and video based ideas and, and projects and that's why we had always talked and then he's like I think there's an opening can you help us like they created this really kind of boring video and I think you could help work with the team over there and make it good so that's how I started and I started working for that not-for-profit it was a it was a technology for social good not-for-profit based in California so their main hub that they had external hub was they had a hub that was like a, uh, a technology arm in Argentina, which was like the programmers. And then they had another hub that was in Phnom Penh in Cambodia. And so, what, so that is how I ended up in Cambodia because they were working on this amazing project where it was basically, uh, it, was, it was during the bird flu outbreak. Um, they created this hotline where 
any farmer that saw that they had animals that appeared sick could dial this phone number and they would be immediately connected to whatever government official, to whomever, so that if they say, my chicken, I woke up and my chickens were all lying dead and they were fine the night before, all of a sudden the appropriate people would come in, see what's going on, clean up, get rid of the chickens, etc. So it was, it was their way of trying to curb this like outbreak that was going on. So that's the material that I was going to go interview and make content about and to help try to help the nonprofit try to attract more funding and attract more attention through that. So that's that nonprofit. Okay. Um, so, so that hopefully that tells you the story of the previous nonprofit. Yep. And now currently I'm working for a similar nonprofit that was started by that same contact of mine. Um, he's actually the CEO of the nonprofit. And what actually brings this all kind of full circle is that we were working on different projects and then all of a sudden we saw, we actually worked on like the opioid abuse, um, you know, situation right now. And we were working with local clinics and doing whatever we could to help them. And then all of a sudden we saw this news about the pandemic that was starting. Um, and we started focusing in on the free and free and charitable clinics across America that were serving the most like overlooked parts of the community and they also needed to attract funding and they needed support. So what ended up happening actually was I found a tool to build something very similar to what was built in Cambodia, a hotline. And I built it uh, with the help of some other people and we gave it to all these clinics for free. So what was going on is like, you might have CVS might say, you can get tested for free. But then what CVS would do is they'd send all those people to these free and charitable clinics that had like three people working there. And all of a sudden, they'd go from getting five phone calls a day to getting 500 phone calls a day, and they couldn't handle it. So they used this free tool that we created, and it would basically act as an automated uh, automated, automated voice response system, which would then create a spreadsheet and order it by severity, by age, by if they had symptoms. And then that was what we would just give all these people for free. And so that is what I'm currently working on. And to put a nice bow on the whole story is that I got involved in Top Shot in February um, and that is what opened up my knowledge into the NFT space. I was lucky enough to get involved in some other NFTs, very lucky to win some giveaways when those weren't fake as they are now half the time. <laughs> and, um, and so I got like a cool cat among, among a couple other like valuable items. And I, so I've been in those communities for months and I keep track of what's happening in the NFT community for months. And I interview some people, some like tastemakers like Crypto Poppy, if you know about him, mm -hmm. we had a great interview once. So I always, that's part of what I, the kind of content I also try to keep myself updated on and educate on is what's happening in NFTs. And we came up with this plan to engage these NFT communities who, who enjoy being part of communities that give funds to not to charitable causes. And I was able to organize this event basically. And we had a bunch of charitable uh, donations from these massive, like Cool Cats was a big one. Another one was um, this artist called Monduir who has like his own private community that's very valuable to some people so what he did was he he auctioned off one that if you bought it he would let you in to this like whatever it is this sort of DAO that he runs a small thing and so someone did it and then he said he would match it so it was like a six ethereum sale wow. he then doubled it to 12 so i was able to raise over six figures for the nonprofit through the nft space um so to me that's like a perfect circle of like where I began finding Top Shot, going like educating on NFTs and like bringing it back again. So that's a long roundabout question, answer to your question about my work in nonprofits and hopefully tying that back into how NFTs have also played a part. Yeah, well, it's, it's absolutely fascinating to me. I think, um, I, I honestly believe one of the things about the NFT space that is so incredible is the communities. And they do, they do appear to be very willing to be supportive and giving. Um, it, it's just, it's phenomenal. But to see, a, to see that connection where you can bridge actual real life boots on the ground work that you're a part of and the NFT space that you're also a part of and get them to 
collaborate in a way that is doing such good for so many communities around the country. I mean, that's just incredible. Um, wow. Kudos. Kudos to you and those communities for participating and playing a role in it. Right? Yeah. I'm, I'm still kind of blown away when I, when I think about it. It's just, uh, it really is incredible. And I think that um, hopefully that's what we're able to do a little differently is that when you see a lot of these NFT communities and they give a percentage to charity, it's sort of like a one-off. It's like, all right, we did it. Here's the right. receipt. We're done now. Whereas this is a lot more connected. We actually, uh, we actually had this woman who works at a clinic on the border of Mexico who has this generator that's like almost on its last legs. And we connected that with the Cool Cats community and they got all excited thinking that this Cool Cat that they were donating would directly buy a brand new generator for this clinic. And uh, so it's amazing to have to actually be able to see what what who you are able to help and actually see it being done. Yeah, I think so often, um, so often when people give, they hope and assume that it's going to support the cause, right? We know uh, historically that many organizations, fairly large percentages of what you give to some organizations go to administrative fees or go someplace else. Not all of them. Some some organizations are very good about how they how they do that. Um, but you don't get that. You don't get to see it. You don't get that tangible experience, right? You go adopt a dog. You get that tangible experience. But if you just write a check to you know UNICEF or um, I forget the name of, uh, you know, Ronald McDonald House or whatever. You don't get to actually see it. For you to be able to create that relationship where they could see, where anyone can see, look, if you give, if you participate, if you play this this part of the game, you're going to be able to support this woman with a generator that's going to be able to support, you know, this many people in the clinic on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis. It's It's incredible. That's really, really cool. Yeah, thank you. The the not for profit that you're working with now, the connection that you had, who's the CEO? I mean, is this a small team? Is this a fairly small team of people who are working in this in this particular project? Or, you know, is it like five, six people? Is it twenty people? How many how many people are involved in the distribution of the tool that you've created and the coordination of things like who needs what where? Yeah, it's a relatively small team. I think it, we're probably under 20 people. Um, and there's different focuses for different projects. So, so people are on different projects. So this particular NFT-related fundraising project, it was pretty much, uh, for the most part, it was me, uh, my contact, and maybe one other like assistant. Um, to So it wasn't like a, a massive undertaking by any means. So that, that kind of made it even more special in my mind is that right. like we were able to execute on this high level and it wasn't this huge thing. Yeah, that's incredible. That's incredible. And so this particular, I mean, it sounds like this particular uh, not-for-profit is relatively new, um, maybe beginning, yeah. beginning with the pandemic. Um, how much of your focus is on um, the immediate sort of like dealing with the COVID pandemic related, uh, you know, um, okay, boom, boom in cases versus sort of like creating a sustainable uh, organization because the, I guess the question is the need exists uh, obviously throughout the world, right? There are underserved communities. There right. are, are parts of, of the world that are completely underserved um, and undersupported. So how, how is this organization, how are you guys developing this organization in a way that will be able to sustain after the pandemic and continue to provide support to, to provide, um, you know, to those underserved communities and those sort of communities that, that may not get the traditional support? Sure. So ideally, the pandemic is something that will come and go and we won't be having to focus on this forever. Um, there are many other areas, though, that these clinics need assistance in. Um, like for now, you could call it the flavor of the day is this pandemic or the flavor of the year. Um, but there's other issues, too. I mean, I have my own opinions on what are other issues that are being overlooked at the moment, let's say. There's uh, this, uh, I think there's a mental health uh, 
epidemic that is sort of not being properly looked at because the pandemic takes all the attention away. Um, and there is the opioid ab abuse as well, which is also getting worse and worse. And that is where we were starting to focus on before this pandemic hit. We still do focus on it to some degree there. And we are seeing success there too, in terms of we are doing on-street outreach and getting people into uh, rehab facilities and things like that. But right now, not all of our focus is there. Like 95% of our focus is on the pandemic. But but to answer your question, we I imagine those other areas, if and when the pandemic is no longer front page news, we'll be able to focus more on those areas. And, and I anticipate that there will be plenty of interest uh, to improve those areas. Yeah, sure. I, I certainly hope so. I certainly hope so. Um, to your point about mental uh, health and, and mental illness, I think not only is it being um, looked over because of the pandemic, I think the pandemic is actually creating more of an, of an issue with mental health, right? The, oh, 100%. The seclusion, depression, people that may not ever have had a history of mental illness. You know, you, you might be 75, 80 years old, had a wonderfully happy, great life, and now you can't see your grandkids, you can't see your family members. I think um, this pandemic has just absolutely destroyed uh, most most people's mental wellness. Absolutely. I agree with that 100%. And I actually heard this story. So I listened to this podcast in Portuguese to try to improve my ear and my, my listening comprehension. And this girl was talking about how she was looking for a preschool for her one-year-old. And she told the story about how she went to visit the preschool. And there was like, I don't know if it was, let's call it a teacher. Um, and all these babies have grown up knowing this teacher or this doctor or whatever, always with a mask on. And she, sh she shared this story where one day these toddlers or however old they were, um, she had to like get a drink of water or something. And they're so not used to seeing this woman without a mask on that when she took her mask off, all these babies were like crying and getting upset. And like, that was this, oof, that was such like a, a stomach punch to think about that. Um, so, so there's many examples of how, of how damaging it is, but yeah, you know, what can we do? We gotta, we gotta do everything we can to improve the situation right right you got it we have to handle the immediate crisis and then we can hopefully begin to focus on some of the uh the unintended consequences of that uh, but yeah and and i mean to put like a little bit of a brighter spin on what's going on what this has created is i also don't believe that we would have these communities without without the pandemic obviously i'd prefer to not have the communities and have no, <laughs> no pandemic but i think that um like these nft communities the, the way that people are really looking for engagement through each other through the internet is something that i don't think would have happened otherwise i mean i mean i think the last time it happened was when the internet was a brand new thing and everyone went to the aol chat rooms because it was so wonderful and on their 33.3 internet connection and and you know took five hours to download a photo like that that those were the days of like it being such an incredibly engaging a wonderful thing since then it went completely the other direction and now it's come back again and i think it's because people need that feeling of being part of something of being able to have some kind of a human connection even if it's through you know an nft or if it's through a top shot wolf pack chat or something it's that need to to belong all right so let's leave this this nasty pandemic behind let's, <laughs> i think i don't want to beat that horse too much um the the uh, you talked about traveling you talked about nature and how you would really enjoy nature v vistas different things do you do do you get out and do like hikes and and go to do stuff in nature a lot i know you know it's difficult obviously everything is more difficult when you have young children but um are you able to do that and engage with nature in that way Absolutely. Um, so we live on kind of a hilly area and there's this one park that I just love because it has a view of the river and this massive bridge that takes you from Lisbon to the other side to Almada. And there's this big like statue, um, just like the one in Brazil, mm -hmm. like the Christ the Redeemer statue. And it's just very, very scenic and beautiful. And um, so what I often do is I drop my kid off at school and I drive, it's like under 10 minutes and I'm at this park and I have like a little circuit that I walk. So I always notice that like my mental health is far improved when I do that. Uh, 
it's like when my parents were visiting, they were taking my son to school a bunch of days and I noticed I wasn't going on those walks anymore right. and I could feel the effects. Um, so yes, I, I definitely love doing that. I, and we still do it. We, there's also some beaches out here that are a little more rugged and wild and more naturally beautiful. So often if I, if I drop off my kid at school and my wife and I, we can like sometimes take a day and go to these different beaches. So there's a lot of accessible nature here. And that's what I really prefer. And even with that trip just now that I mentioned, we went to Austria and uh, that's exactly what I wanted to do. Like we, we landed in Vienna. I said, okay, well, like, okay, we'll eat some cake and whatever, but get me out of there. Get me to the <laughs> mountains. So I definitely, I, I'm, I gravitate toward that and I try to find opportunities to do that as much as I can. Now, do you think that that is a condition of being born uh, in sort of a more urban area and not maybe having as much of that as a child? Or is it something that as a child, you guys as a family would go and do? And was it something your parents were interested in? Or, as a third option, is is it the kind of thing that you've grown to love throughout your traveling? So as you've traveled around the world and you've seen some of these different vistas and these, you know, whether it's waterfalls and beaches and just these beautiful um, organic natural scenes, uh, have you grown to love them that way? Yeah, I think it's a lot of the third option. I think as, as we age and as we just get exposed to new things, I think it like triggers our synapses in our brain sometimes are like, Ooh, that felt good. I, I think I want more of that. And so I think, I, and, and I think it's just as we change, cause it, it takes, it takes me back to my comment before about when I was whatever, 15 years old and listening to Red Sox games out in the town with my parents, like I would have done the same if we went to a beautiful beach, I would also have my Red Sox games on my ears. So uh, I think it's just, as you age, you find different things that you enjoy and, um, I'm lucky to have found something like that that really I enjoy quite a lot. So I think that that's how I would answer that. Yeah, it's that's awesome. That's fantastic. It is. It's it's interesting to see um, when people travel what they take away, right? Because I think I the way that I look at it, and and I've done as I said some traveling, but I'm never the same after a trip, and it's never you know huge dramatic changes in who I am or my behavior, but there's something that I always take with me and it, it changes me. It alters every day thereafter. Um, and so I always find mm. it fascinating to talk to people about traveling and, and what they really enjoy about it, what they get out of it, what they take away uh, from it, because uh, it, it all builds to who we are, you know, today sitting here talking. So very cool. Well, now you made me <clears throat> curious. What, what is, what is uh, one of the recent trips that you went on and what did you take away from it? Oh wow! Um, or it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be recent. But what is an example of a trip you went on and you took something away from it? Yeah, I think um, I've I've done I've done some some pretty interesting traveling. Um, you know, really um, one of my favorite trips. So without getting into this too long, because this is supposed to be about you, Tandy. This is supposed <laughs> to be about you. I know this is what you Can't do. Help myself, I know. Right? I know. <laughs> So uh, one of one of my opportunities in college, I ended up with a um, anthropology degree with a minor in pre-Hispanic Peruvian cultures, which for anyone out there, um, there is no career with that degree. So I, I don't recommend going down that path. But when we graduated, there was a group, uh, two of friends of mine and I, the three of us, went to South America. We spent three months in Peru um, and northern Chile and, and just sort of in a few different areas, but mostly in Peru and around there. And that trip for me was absolutely incredible because we were able to visit the sites of all of the different cultures and the different things we had learned about for the previous couple of years. Um, and and for me to, to be there, to be, you know, in Machu Picchu or Aguante Tambo or any of these places and think about what it took for people in that time with the limited tools that they had and the landscape that they were in to build those things, those buildings, those walls, the terraces, you know, it, it absolutely fascinates me. And, um, you know, for me, whenever I'm doing something around the house or I'm doing something with my kids and you know, I'm having a problem, whatever it is, 
I often will sort of drift back and be like, God, how on earth did they do this stuff? Um, <laughs> and so it, for me, it's sort of that connection between like, uh, you know, what the, the, the ease of life today, um, even though life is difficult, to think about what life was like uh, for those people trying to accomplish the things that they did um, and, and certainly sacrificing their life for it, right, and all of that goes along with it, 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 it fascinates me and certainly created uh, a bit of a frame for, for me and how I live my day to day. Yeah, that's great because that's a story of of finding gratitude a little easier in in everyday life, and so that's a that's a great example. Yeah. So uh, we talked a little bit about uh, movies, uh, TV, sort of the comedy, the thriller. What about music? Where are, where does Tandy go? What what dial gets turned when he is uh, ready to listen to some bumping tunes? Yeah, I'm I'm definitely like a I like classical rock like a uh, classic rock like um but i also like more alternative um one group that i was obsessed with for many years was radiohead i saw them live a bunch of times um so i like that kind of it's not quite psychedelic i'd say that radiohead is more on like the rock and roll side of things but some other mm -hmm. stuff is a little more experimental sure a more recent group that I like quite a bit is Tame Impala. Mm -hmm. that I would I would say they are a little closer to like the psychedelic rock area, um, but I would say that's generally the kind of music I like to listen to. I, I really like Tame Impala. I mean, there's music I really don't like. I really don't like pop music. I don't like formulaic pop music. I'm, I'm guessing you might be struggling with that with two young daughters. Yeah, it's, um. it's my wife. The worst of it is my wife. <laughs> so let me just make, I want to just, I want to just get this. I want to clarify this. So because, you know, you may, you may upset a large portion of, uh, the, the people in existence you don't like uh hall, hallmark type beautiful movies you don't you don't like pop music i mean come on tanti <laughs> yeah i'm a bit of a contrarian i think taylor I, swift is calling right now and and she doesn't have anything yeah, good to yeah. say <laughs> yeah I, I don't listen to taylor swift uh from from what i've heard uh, you know a lot of it is just stuff that kind of gets locked in your brain you can't shake it out literally shake it out right yeah. uh so so that is the that's the kind of music i don't quite enjoy when when you just can't get it out of your head and it just sounds so formulaic and and i'm a little annoying on that on that in that side of things like if, I, if we're in the radio i mean if we're in the car and the radio comes on and and what and i can't switch it before one of those songs come on, it'll create an issue with between my wife and I. So <laughs> my hack for my my hack for that is just make these massive playlists on Amazon, and I just make sure that none of those songs are in there. So some songs she'll hear and she'll know and she'll like, but it'll just it'll never be the songs that I know that I hate. Oh, I love it. That's awesome. I'm gonna have to try that because <laughs> I, nothing that I do works. My wife will even uh, and and listen. I love my wife to death, but she will she will play a song and then have it repeat and repeat and repeat and oof, repeat. And oof. I'm like, no, can we no, at least no. get a new one? Do we? Have, does it have to be the same one? Um, uh, Radiohead, yeah, and then you just sort of you just hand them headphones like this. Yeah. And say, Look, you can listen to it, listen to it twenty times if you want. Yeah, that's what she does to the kids, but she won't let me do that to her. <laughs> um, Radiohead, I, I'm, I'm a huge Radiohead fan. I love their, their early stuff. You know, I mean, I, I'm mm -hmm. a kid uh, who was of the grunge era. And so um, yep. I love their early stuff. The, the Benz, I think, is, is absolutely like the, one of the most perfect albums, uh, you know, cover to cover. Um, do you prefer the newer stuff? Do you prefer the older stuff? Where do you sit on that sort of evolution of Radiohead? I, I prefer the older stuff. Uh, yeah, like you said, there's some incredible, incredible albums in there. Um, pop, like Creep, of course, is like a classic. That's sort of what people get introduced. I actually got introduced with Kid A. I, I was like in, uh, I was working at a hotel in Falmouth, Cape Cod. And um, 
my older brother actually gave my dad that album and my dad played it and he's like this is what is this it sounds like a like a a breaking like a computer that's breaking down like i don't want this and and he gave me the cd and uh, that cd i had a cd player in my honda civic people don't listen to those anymore and um so i would just like zone out and just blast the kid a after work and i'm like oh this is just wonderful wonderful stuff so i like that a lot i like the in rainbows album a lot um yeah, but I saw them a few different times, but one of the best performances I ever saw of theirs was there was like a tent in Boston, in downtown Boston, small capacity, and it was it felt like it was such like an intimate show with Radiohead. Like that'll I I don't think that'll ever get topped. Like I've seen them in other places too, but yeah, I I loved loved seeing Radiohead. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I don't know the 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 some of the stuff, I think uh, Tom York came out with a new album not too long ago, and I I didn't get, I can't get into that too much. It's like much. electronic, right? Yeah, yeah, it's not, like I said, I grew up as a grunge kid, so I'm, most of my music leans in that direction, but. Yeah, like classic Pearl Jam, like Nirvana, um, Ever- other like one-hit wonders that I can't think of. Yeah, but- Everclear, I, I was a big Everclear mm-hmm. fan, um, but yeah, yeah. Right. Um, so in your spare time, um, which it, you may not have a lot of, right? Because you've you've got your work, you have your son, you guys get out as much as you can and, and travel, and you try and get out in you know on a as, as often as you can each day to take a walk or just kind of connect with nature. Um, do you have other hobbies? Do you have things that you like to do outside of creating content, uh, you know, around NFTs and around Top Shot? Yeah, absolutely. And and that's only a, a recent thing. I, mean, I only started making videos, let's say, I think that was in the end of June or July of this year. So I haven't been a content creator for that long, honestly. Um, another hobby that I can mention is uh, there's a sport that is in between tennis and squash, and it's called paddle. Uh, it's very popular in Spain, Argentina, and it's kind of there are actually some courts in America, but uh, very popular in Spain and Argentina, also like Sweden. So I got introduced to that uh, maybe a couple of years ago, and I try to play that like at least once per week. Um, and it's it's just such a blast. It's so much fun. Like I'm, I'm waiting for it to catch on in America because it is unbelievably fun. So that's probably my biggest hobby that I do otherwise uh, and besides that it's like kind of the more boring things that anyone does like you know catch a few shows here and mm-hmm. there and things like that but that's definitely the more um engaging entertaining uh, physical activity that i do is play paddle now when you when you play paddle is there like just an open court or a gym somewhere that you go to and you hope people are there playing or do you no, do you have a no, league you, you have or... to set it okay. up it's it's you it's played in doubles so you can't just show up you have to set up a game you have to book it i use an app that i book the court with and then it's two on two and the way it's played is it's it's an enclosed it's basically a smaller tennis court that's enclosed with like fiberglass so you can play off the walls so if i give you like a big lob and then you try to smash it to end the point and it bounces off the back wall i can then play it carefully and hit the ball back to you off the wall and like I can put it down the corner and you won't and if you can't get it I win the point even though you just did that amazing smash okay so there's a lot of like trickery and sort of planning and um and knowing the angles and it's just uh it's a great game I I love it now is there a league that that plays or are there tournaments or anything like that that you've ever gotten involved in or is it literally just kind of like playing with people you know and having fun doing it at current time, it's mostly just playing with people I know. But there absolutely are leagues. There are more sort of, yeah, you can go as advanced as you want. I mean, there are very challenging leagues. There are people who are practically professional. There are, um, and what's interesting though is like if you ever look into the World Paddle Tour, which is like the best of the best, you you it's an interesting construct where certain teams will be together for a certain period of time and then they'll split up and then they'll you know they think they can do better with somebody else so there's this there's this uh element almost like an nba team where you need like the right players together and there's that element of it which i find pretty interesting too as a fan uh but yes there's plenty of tournaments that you can find my my problem right now is I have like a bulky knee because I sort of I think I overdid it maybe a year or two ago where I would play on back to back nights, 
and I used to feel my knee would always get sort of like hot and sore. And then once it really got sore, and I'm like, yeah, it's nothing. And now if I play too too soon after, then my knee is just like hurting me for like a solid week. So I'm actually waiting to get like an MRI on that in February to just figure out what's going on there. But now I play once a week, still really enjoy it. And uh, if I could, I would play in more of those tournaments that you're talking about. Yeah. But my knee doesn't allow me. Okay. All right. Well, do you do you like wrap the knee up or do you do something to it to yeah. play? Yeah. Okay. All right. Good stuff. Good I stuff. wear I wear a support. It's got like one of those donuts on it. I wear the support, and I ice it down when I'm done, like I'm LeBron James, <laughs> and uh, you know. <laughs> But uh, I, I don't know what's going on in there. It's strange. I, I'll hopefully get to the bottom of it in February. Yeah, hopefully it, it's hopefully it's just some tendonitis or something that you can you can work through. Yeah, I think so. But because it, it comes and goes, comes and goes. So I'm not quite sure how to make it just go away. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I, I might have to stop playing for like a year. I don't know. But hopefully a doctor will be able to tell me. I don't know. Most of most of the athletes use a, a cortisone shot, right? Maybe maybe a cortisone. I'll shot. take it. Yeah, maybe it'll work. Who knows? Who knows? I'm fine with that. Give give me the cortisone <laughs> shot. Um, so I I, I want to be respectful of your time. I know uh, you've you obviously have a lot going on, and um, I very much appreciate you you being here on Inside the Handle and having this conversation, opening yourself up a little bit. I think it's uh, you've got a really fascinating story um, overall, and then a bunch of little really cool, interesting stories uh, that that go inside of that. Um, I'm, I'm excited for people to hear this and be able to see you from a different perspective. So uh, it's very cool, and, and I certainly appreciate it very much. Is there is there a, as we sort of wrap this up, is there a philosophy, a mindset, um, a mantra, uh, words of wisdom, something that you uh, adhere to that sort of helps to provide you with direction and guidance uh, that you could share with the audience? That's a great question. I kind of wish I could think about this beforehand but <laughs> I think um <laughs> I mean I think in general like when you're when you're facing a challenge or something I, I do believe it's kind of like in fate I think that things kind of appear in your life for a reason um like I don't necessarily believe that everything happens for a reason but I do think that like opportunities present themselves for reasons and I and I try to always keep like an open mind and when something presents itself even like this for example something prevent presents itself like you should always take that as a signal and just kind of go for it and I think that if you're ever kind of struggling like even I mean I can apply it even as like a content creator I think that as long as you're like doing things for the right reasons and you're doing things because you enjoy them and you're driven by the right sort of uh motive motivators then it's a good idea to just kind of keep going and just keep seeing what's possible and seeing what presents itself and keeping that open mind. Uh, I suppose I don't, I'm not really words of wisdom, but that would be what I would suggest to people. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting. Um, because, uh, one of the other guests that, that I've had had a very similar message, um, and just sort of like, mm. you know, seizing opportunities and making sure that you're doing things for the right reason. And if you are, and you take those opportunities, generally speaking, you're going to get positive outcomes. You're going to get experiences that help you grow, even if that opportunity isn't um, what you thought it would be. It's going to help you become, you know, uh, grow into who you're supposed to be. Uh, so that's, yeah. I think that's wonderful advice, um, especially, All right. especially in the world that we live in now where there are so many distractions and so many challenges and opportunities sometimes can be hard to see, uh, you know, because there's so many other things going on. So awesome. 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 Uh, well, again, I really appreciate it. And I, and everybody who's listening, make sure that you follow Top Shot Tandy. It's at Top Shot Tandy, just as it sounds. Uh, T-O-P-S-H-O-T-T-A-N-D-Y. It's as easy as it gets. We appreciate you making that easy for us. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, it's got that double T. Sometimes people call me Top Shot Andy. I'm like, all right, that's fine. <laughs> call me Top Shot Andy. I guess I can see that. I hadn't, I mean, I, yeah. Okay. All right. I can see it. I can see it. <laughs> when all the letters are squished together. Yeah, right, right. Too fun, too fun. Well, listen, this has been awesome. Um, I appreciate you joining, as I said, but I also just want to quickly let you know that I appreciate what you do for the space in general. Um, you know, the, obviously the 
the donations you got for the not-for-profit aside, because that's just absolutely incredible, but just what you do to, to highlight certain um, members in the space, whether it's Top Shot or outside of Top Shot and other NFT projects, but you, you do a great job of providing a platform. You're very engaging, entertaining. Your videos are top-notch. I love, I love when you create videos for your guests. Um, so thank you for what you do to help build the community. And I hope, you know, wish you nothing but success as you continue to build that for yourself. Well, I really appreciate that. And I, I try to create entertaining things for myself, but also for people who are watching. And I think this, all, this idea too that you've come up with is an amazing idea. I don't see anyone else doing it. So I think that's a great sign. And I, I wish the same for you. I think this is a great a way to get to know people in the community apart from NFTs and Top Shot. So I do that for like a couple minutes when I have a guest and this is a nice deep dive. So yeah. I hope the same for you and I hope you continue to get these great conversations. And I'm honored to be able to just kind of talk about this stuff with you and have a place to go watch it later. And show my wife. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you yeah. very much, sir. I hope that you uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Inside the Handle and hanging out with Top Shot Tandy with us. We had a great time and we hope you enjoyed the conversation. Make sure and follow Top Shot Tandy on Twitter and follow Inside the Handle so you can stay up to date with the next podcasts we release. Enjoy and have a great day.